Thank you for downloading this episode of In Our Time. For more details about In Our Time and for our terms of use, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio4. I hope you enjoy the programme. Hello. In 1692, in the New England colony of Massachusetts, two young girls, Abigail Williams and Betty Paris, had fits, were twitching, they wouldn't wake up. They and their families blamed their behaviour on witchcraft and the hunt was on for the supposed witches responsible. This was Salem Village. The Puritans living there and in the surrounding Essex County started to find witches wherever they looked, neighbour accusing neighbour, many confessing in the hope of avoiding the noose. It was no use onlookers arguing there was no such thing as witchcraft. This was taken as proof that they themselves were witches. Once the trials were over, there were apologies, justifications, reparations, but by then over 100 innocent women, men and children had been accused and held in jail. 20 had been put to death, most of them women. With me to discuss what became known as the Salem Witch Trials are Susan Castillo-Street, Harriet Beecher-Stowe, Professor Emerita of American Studies at King's College London, Simon Middleton, Senior Lecturer in American History at the University of Sheffield, and Marianne Gibson, Professor of Renaissance and Magical Literatures at Essex University's Penryn campus. Simon Middleton, who was living in Massachusetts at this time in the area around Salem Village in particular? Well, Salem Village is... Um, Salem is settled in 1626 initially and then is absorbed into the larger Puritan colony. So the people who are living there are mainly farmers, um, certainly all associated with the Puritan migration. And by the time we get to the witchcraft trials, there is something of a division. The village has become a, r- a rural hinterland to a more successful Salem town, which is taken off um, on the back of the merchant trade supplying the West Indian plantations. And so this is one of the divisions that we're going to go and see in the, in, in the witchcraft trials. The Puritans, we have to say something, I think, about what Puritanism is briefly and why they're there. They've left England... Um, to try and build pure churches in the new world. They worry greatly that the Anglican Church retains too many corruptions and Catholic practices. Um, The importance of establishing a pure church is because the Puritans are also Calvinists, which they believe in predestination, meaning that some are bound to go to heaven, some most are bound to go to hell. And the only way that you can find out which which you are is by studying the Bible and studying the self and being a part of a pure church led by a minister who you trust and who's wise and and, and well-informed and looking for signs of assurance in yourself uh, um, that you may indeed be one of the saved. And uh, this is important for Salem because... The, the prehistory to the witchcraft hunts is really revolves around a struggle to get a church in Salem Village. Um, they have to go to the church in Salem Town, which is a 10-mile round trip for some of them. Um, and for nearly 20 years, they campaigned to try and be released from the Salem Town Church and establish their own church in the village. And this leads to a kind of factionalised row in, in, in Salem Village between the people who are furthest from the town who want to have a village church and the people who are nearer the town, um, who are perfectly happy going to Salem Town and, and oppose the village church. And just to re-emphasise at this mm-hmm. point, if we can, the ferocity of the Presbyterians they, and their determination, they started to go across at the beginning of the 17th century, there was a big, big movement across in about 1630 when yep. Charles in this country started persecuting them, they hate, their hatred of Anglicanism, but they put up with enormous privations, uh, they totally believed that they're going to build the city on the hill, the yep. city to God, they're an entirely godly society, there were people, we could even call them the people of the book without... Uh, uh, and so this is bitten in to everything they do, this Presbyterianism. 
Puritanism. Indeed it is, and Puritanism originally... Why do you distinguish between Puritanism and Presbyterianism? Well, because the people that go to Massachusetts are Congregationalists, and that's a really important idea. The Presbyterian wing of the Protestant Reformation, I guess, still has a place for elders and people to be in charge, the Presbytery, right? The Congregationalists believe very strongly that the congregation should be in charge of its own church. And this is one of the reasons that what you see in, in New England is a, is a fragmentation as groups break away from the early settlement and settle around the colony, each with their own particular variation and, and view of, of, uh, of, how, of, how, of how the uh, religious practice should be ordered. When they're all fighting against Anglicans in, in, the, in England, they're kind of joined together. But when they get to the New World, they kind of part and, and, and fall out with each other, very famously in something called the antinomian crisis of the 1630s. You've talked about the local community of Salem Village. How it was a divided community. Very divided. And how and big was it? There's about 600 people yeah. in the village. Um, but um, there's, a, there's a lovely family tale in all of this because the people who support the church in the west of the village are the Putnams and the people who oppose the independent church in the east of the village are called the Porters. And the, the first Putnam and the first Porter arrived about the same time in the 1630s, but by the 1680s the Putnams' fortunes are declining and the Porters are increasing, in part because they're near a town and they've got associated with this mercantile trade that's developing. And so at the heart of the Salem trials um, there is this family feud um, between two long-established um, families and there's even a, an inheritance that goes astray, Put a, a Putnam bit of land that should be in the family through marriage looks like it's headed towards the porter side. And this is all happening in the late 1680s, right before it all kicks off. Susan, Susan Castillo, what was, it, what was it about the beliefs that made them particularly likely to believe that there was witchcraft around? Basically, the Puritans believed in a world of invisible spirits, um, a world of devils and witches, none of whom we could see. They also believed in the importance of confession and this later in the trials would prove to be very important. Um, for them, what was paramount was the integrity of the community and anything that threatened that was, was seen as prejudicial. Also, they did have the idea that they were um, the inheritors of the Israelites as the chosen people of God. But the difference there was that they believed that they could create the perfect society, not um, in heaven, rather, but here on earth, and specifically in America. And they re their, their rhetoric is very much in terms of biblical typology. They saw themselves as um, the parallel was the persecution um, from the Stuart kings was rather like the Israelites and Pharaoh in, in Egypt. The crossing of the Atlantic was like the crossing of the Red Sea. They saw themselves as the inheritors of, of um, the Israelites. They also um, felt that any kind of persecution or difficulty was, in a sense, a badge of honor because this showed that they, the devil felt that they were a threat so that any difficulties um, such as plagues or battles with Indians or that sort of thing um, were seen as tests. And they, they believed in the devil. There was this... Oh, yes. Presence called the devil, but they also believed in spectres, didn't they? That, that people, there were ghosts of people or spirits of people who could be called to account. These spirits could give information which would be valid in a court. Yes, and that was one of the reasons that the witch trials went so horribly wrong. Um, spectres, 
the idea, the Puritan idea was that the devil could work through someone's specters in order to... Um, Can you say more specifically and better than I did what a specter was? Because it's very important in the side of these specters. When you're working through, when the devil works through a specter, what's the specter is working through? The specter is a kind of invisible pre- um, presence that can carry out malefic witchcraft that can make really bad things happen. And certain people can see these specters. They claim. They did, yes. The, right. As they're called, the afflicted girls, the young women who um, began all of this, um, claimed that they could see specters tormenting others. Of course, um, the problem there is that um, there's no external corroboration so that someone can allege that um, someone's specter is tormenting them, even if that very person has a perfectly good alibi and is physically present somewhere else. So it's... Um, basically removes the need for any corroboration, only the person who is claiming this. To put um, this in, sorry, to put this sure. in a sort of, to contextualise this in a slightly different way, they are, they're, they're in an embattled place, aren't they? The Absolutely. Indians are near. Oh, yes. Uh, they have burnt Indian villages to the ground and thought this was a sweet blessing of the Lord, is that the phrase? Because William br- Bradford, yes. Yes, a sweet blessing because they'd burnt it all to the ground. The Indians made raids, took away some of the girls now and then, and so on. So this fear... Uh, was ever-present. I think there was a kind of invasion psychosis, really. Um, So many of the people who were, um, again, you know, gave testimony in and uh, were the accusers in the witch trials had very direct experience of um, the battles. For example, um, Mercy Short was taken captive by the Wabanaki. While she was there, she experienced, um, she was made to witness um, the dismemberment of one of the captives as a sort of um, object lesson to other captives not to flee. Another, um, Mercy Lewis, uh, was was orphaned and lost her family. She then was a servant with the Putnams. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are so many links to the frontier um, throughout the, so the that, trials. That, so coming to it, Marion, I mistakenly said you came from Essex and not from Exeter. <laughs> oh, I thought you might have said I corrected that. <laughs> can, I, can I sort of say mea culpa? But mea culpa wouldn't really be allowed in this particular context. I'll just say I'm really sorry. <laughs> I forgive you, Melbourne. Essex is on the mind. All this Essex happened in Essex County, not in Exeter. Exeter's absolved from, from the Salem trial. OK, um, let's start where it started. Oh, it seems to start. These girls, Abigail Williams and Betty Paris... Yes. Abigail and Betty are really important because they are the first accusers. And as you said at the beginning, they are two young girls who fall ill um, and start accusing people of bewitching them. They are, their youth is important, I think. Um, Betty is about nine years old and Abigail is about 11 or 12. And we know that because John Hale, one of the, the preachers who was called in to, to interact with them, to try to find out what was wrong with them um, and to tell other people in the community about them, tells us they're ages. Um, These are changed later on by later writers, but we know that they were actually quite young girls. And as you say, they start being afflicted. Um, They think that demonic creatures are pinching them. They start twitching um, and writhing and their bodies are contorted in strange ways. So their hands are turned backwards um, and their limbs are twisted. Do they they show these backward turned hands or are we expected to believe because they say Mm. their hands were backward turned in the middle of the night? Do we expect Mm. to believe that? We are expected to believe that, I think. Um, It's something that's often said in cases of demonic possession, for example, but it's not entirely clear how 
how it happened, whether it was a muscle spasm mm. or whether they were simply children, you know, you know how children do, kind of making their bodies into strange shapes because they can. Um, it's not entirely clear what was going on. What is going on is very mm. much to do with the household of the minister. Yes, I who's think Who's causing is. great dissension in the place, Paris, Samuel Paris. One of them is his niece. Yes. One of them is his daughter. Yes. And then the first accused person is his slave, Tituba. Yes. So... Uh, He's very much at the centre. He's even at the beginning of it, and he has he has scores to settle with other people in the village. Uh, where does that fit in? That's a really important point. Um, yes, it is his household where all of this starts, and he is very conscious of his household, of having to be the minister, having to be the beacon of hope to the rest of the community. And I think there is tremendous pressure, therefore, on the people in his household to be godly. Um, imagine how difficult that must have been if you were a nine or, or 11-year-old girl. Um, so, yes, they, they start... And also with no dancing, no... Yes. What they couldn't do. Can you list the things they weren't allowed to do? Or have yes. we got time? Yeah, exactly. There are so many, aren't there? They were expected to be silent, um, to speak when spoken to, to be submissive, to ask blessing from the adults around them, to respect the adults around them, honour thy father and thy mother. But it is important to say that, that Abigail... And no music, dancing, toys, games, Christmas Day, Easter Day, that sort yeah, of stuff. none right. of that. But it's yeah. important to say that Abigail probably doesn't have a mother and father, and that that might be important too. As you say, she's Paris's niece. It's not entirely clear what that relationship is, but she's certainly living in his house in this rather anomalous position. Given the way that that society was such a hierarchy and so powerful, why did they listen to these girls? I think they listened to them because they thought that what the girls were saying was what they wanted to hear in Who's a funny they? sort of way. Paris in particular. It's sort of what he wants to hear. He wants to hear that he is a godly man and that therefore the devil hates him and wants to attack his family and he feels persecuted anyway because, as you were both saying, um, in the wider community he's not well liked um, and there are, there are you know, dissensions and problems in the community surrounding the minister. So he already feels under threat and this confirms his sense that the devil is after him. Before we leave Paris, though, is it beyond possibility that he seeded the whole thing and then egged it on and then it got out of hand? It's possible. Yes, it is possible. It's not possible to say one way or the other to convict him or absolve him, yeah. actually, but he may have done. Um, certainly it's interesting that these young girls in his household are the ones that kick the whole thing off. Coming to you, Sam, do you want to take that on, the girls yeah, in the I mean, I think How I th they came to the first trials? We're on that track now. Uh, well, Paris is at the centre of a really vicious well fight between these factions and the, and the Porter factions, factions in the village. Factions in the village, and the Porter Cat faction have gained control of the church government the previous the previous October and stopped paying him. They've 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 you know stopped stopped giving him his salary, um, and and also there's Cotton Mather. I know we're going to come on to talk about him maybe in a little while, but. He, in 1689, Mather is this brilliant intellectual minister, and in 1689 he publishes a book called Memorable, Memorable Providences of Witchcraft and Possession, in which he describes the case of the um, bewitchment of um, some children in Boston, the Goodwin children, and, and it describes exactly what then appears, the kind of behaviour and the kinds of you know, afflictions that then appear in Salem. And, it's, and it's, it's not too much of a stretch to see Paris reading. Everybody would have been aware of Mather's publication, reading that and then... Highly suggestible children in the um, in the uh, in the household, you know, picking up on that. Um, right. So he read the book, yeah. and and they're doing the same thing as he read mm -hmm. in the book. They're mm -hmm. in his household. He's got big grudges. Mm -hmm. They're not paying him any money. He wants to get his own back. So that we can leave that to one side. Tell us how he went to the first trial. Well, when a, when an accusation of witchcraft is made, 
there's an arrest warrant, people are brought in for questioning, um, and, and then the decision is made about whether or not it'll go to a grand jury and then from the grand jury to trial. What happens in Salem in the first phase from February through March is that um, the two magistrates, Hawthorne and, um, and Corwin, who are merchants knowledgeable of the law rather than lawyers, um, they, make, they, they, they follow legal procedure. And one of the things we've got to know is there's no... This, it's often represented as witchcraft hysteria, but the legal process is very deliberative and very bureaucratic. One thing they do not do, which was customary practice in the 17th century before this case, was ask for a bond from the accusers to, you know, stand up for their accusation and, get, and, and, and confirm that they will be in court. And I think this failure to ask for a bond and also the fact that the people who are accused, Sarah Osborne, Sarah Good, um, are straight accused out... Accused by these girls, these 11 year, 9-year-old and 11-year-old girls, and by Titi Brothers Slave, that they're being accused by these... Yeah, got they to are keep accused... the story in mind. I yeah. mean, going into legality, the yeah. story is the story at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. So these girls and the slave girl who he's bought, uh, yeah. Paris has bought in the West Indies yeah. and he's treated her less harshly than everybody else, it seems, and so on. They're accusing everybody. They're accusing Older initially. Older women yeah. and generally poorer women. Yeah. And and they get it, and they're being taken seriously. Yes, they're right. being taken seriously. As everybody, it's not uncommon for witchcraft accusations to be taken seriously, especially not when you look at Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good. They're straight out of central casting in terms of witchery. You know, I mean, they're kind of vulnerable, older, middle-aged, poor, a reputation for arguing with neighbours and, and of that kind of thing. Um, Susan, how did these accused uh, uh, defend themselves? So they're being accused by these children and this uh, tituber. A slave girl, and what did they? Are they to defend themselves? It was remarkably difficult to do so, precisely because of the issue of spectral evidence. Um, many defended themselves by simply proclaiming their innocence, and almost without exception, those who did were hung later. For, for just for proclaiming their innocence. Precisely. How um, did that work? I am innocent, therefore you will get hanged for being guilty. What's, what's going on? It's completely bizarre. I, yeah, I agree. Like to know, yes. Can we go into it? Can we, of course. Can of we course. unpack bizarre? Right. Um, I think, again, it plays into the idea um, of the Puritans that confession was good for the soul, that one should reveal one's failings in a public way. So I think that that certainly is, is, is part of it. Um, I think also in this process there was always the presumption of guilt and the burden was on the accused to prove their innocence, which proved very difficult to do. Um, Tituba, I think, um, probably understood from the beginning that if she confessed, she might be freed, as ultimately happened after a long period of, um, of imprisonment. So her confession was remarkably florid, and uh, evocative, and that, in a sense, I think, touched off the the um, outpouring of confessions which which followed. Can I come to you, <coughs> to you, Marin, ab about this? Tituba, quite a bit is known about her. She's often misrepresented, but she, as as has been said, her confession uh, gives it a boost. But then we have this. You, I, I go back to your bizarre people are saying they're innocent and become accused and hung. People who confess. Mm. Uh, tend to be let off. They so do. So can you tell us a bit about Tituba? Yes. 
She does confess um, at length, yeah. She accuses other people, including Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. Um, she talks about how they've got demonic spirits, familiars um, in the shape of animals. She talks about how they've pinched the children, attacked the children, and that they've made her sign the devil's book um, and drawn her into their, their witch cover and their conspiracy. But you're absolutely right, she survives the trials, whereas Sarah Osborne dies in prison and Sarah Good is hanged. So Tachiba's strategy actually was completely the right one. Um, she is to be indicted right at the end of the controversy when things are winding down and people are starting to think that they've got things horribly wrong. Um, she is to be indicted, but the grand jury refused to, to find the, the indictment against her. They refused to put her forward for trial. And eventually she is returned to prison um, and subsequently, as far as we can see, freed. So she does the right thing in a funny sort of way. Can we say a bit more about Tichibu? Because she's been the, the centre of quite a disputation as to where she came from, what sort of slave she was. Can you just say a bit more? Yes. In all of the original documents, she's described as an Indian woman. Um, So Mr Paris's Indian woman, the Indian, things like that. But in the 1860s, a historian called Charles Wentworth Upham represented her for the first time as somebody who he described as being half Negro. So she has this identity that she starts off being Indian or Native American um, and subsequently morphs into being a Negro or African American, which is a fascinating journey. Um, It seems to have come about because, of course, in the 1860s with the Civil War um, and the the American politics of slavery at the time, there was interest in people um, of African American American descent, there was interest in that kind of racial division and Tichuba sort of moved into that camp almost subconsciously as if that was who she had always been. But it's very likely that she was a Native American woman um, and certainly research done in the 1990s threw up a record in Barbados from the 1670s of a girl called Tachuba who was being uh, sold, who was part of an inventory of, of an estate owned by a man called Samuel Thompson um, in Bridgetown in Barbados. And this may be Artichuba. Um, she's listed among child slaves at the time, so by the time of the Salem trials, if this is our, our girl, she's probably sort of 25 to 30 years old, something like that. But she does seem to be a Native American, and that's probably an important thing to say about her at this stage. Simon, you wanted to say something. I want to ask you something. Okay. You go first. Well, I want to dissent from the characterisation of bizarre and move us on through the trials to to a, to a key to a key middle bit. I'm very comfortable with descriptions that you know it wasn't bizarre to them. It was it made absolute sense to them that if you would confess, then you know you would be entertained. One of the reasons confessions um, w- weren't um, treated more harshly was because they were kept in jail because they were expected to dob more people in. You know, and also as the trials proceeded. Later on in May, when the the, the court begins to sit, um, um, the, if you can stay in jail long enough, you weather out the storm of the accusation and the worst of it, and then you, you know, you are dealt with in a different way. But the other one is that the importance of confession is revealed, I think, in one of the most important and key cases, which which is the case of Rebecca Nurse, mm-hmm. because after the accusations being levelled at, you know, central casting, which is what what happens is regular respectable women and, and, and others in the community um, are accused, the kinds of subjects that never would have attracted These are still these you know. girls fermenting it. Well, and, and, and the circle of accusers expands to include not just girls, but um, Thomas Putnam's wife um, gets involved, and I think she's the accuser of Rebecca Nurse. And Rebecca Nurse is a, a member of the church in good standing, uh, what, a member of the elect, and, and, and it's her 
at trial and execution that really is a turning point in the trials and and her and the case and her case is worthy of remembering if, because she's of all of them she's the truly principled puritan and when she's told she's basically told under questioning just confess and we can sort something out and she says i cannot confess to something i do not believe i've done i can't tell a lie so it's it's his her adherence to the principles um that take her ultimately to 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 that to the news you wanted to come in yes um susan i think simon makes a valid point that certainly it's not bizarre to the puritans but to 21st century um, s- scholars working on this, I think it's utterly bizarre. Beggars' belief that it violates all the rules of logic that someone should confess to something they actually didn't do. Just a thought. I, well, we're not allowed to bring in 21st century topics. We're in the 1690s, but I think there's plenty of evidence in current day of oh, people yes. claim, making all kinds yeah. of unsustainable People claims. can be relevant without us yeah. leading them on yeah. where they can work it out for themselves. Yeah. That's that. So yeah. we, we'll stick to what we've got. It's Absolutely. quite what we've got on our plate is is quite enough. Uh, Let's turn to the case of Elizabeth and John Proctor, Susan. Uh, That, again, like Rick, is a very illuminating case. Can you discuss that? It is indeed. Um, John Proctor was a man who did not mince his words. He was genial, but he was very blunt, very forthright. He owned a tavern and he also owned a farm. Um, Sources give different sizes for the farm. One says it was 15 acres, another says it was 700, who knows. But he did have land and was relatively prosperous. Elizabeth Proctor was his much younger wife. She was his third wife. Um, And she was the first to be accused by John Indian, um, who was another slave of of, of Samuel Paris. So we're back in the Paris household. Yes. Right. Which is, I think, one of the focal points in the whole affair. Yeah. Can you please go on, and then, uh, um, and then I'll ask Marion to come in. Well, one source again says that at Ingersoll's Tavern, um, apparently Puritan girls did live a very circumscribed existence, but they could go to the tavern, which is interesting. And uh, one of them there um, apparently said that Elizabeth Proctor's spectre was in the room. The wife of the tavern owner um, remonstrated and said, um, you really shouldn't say that sort of thing. And one of the girls said, oh, it was for sport. So um, that then subsided. But after that, um, in they then began to accuse Elizabeth Proctor of witchcraft. Again, one account says that it was because... Um, she had um, essentially, she, she had prescribed medicine to someone and they had not taken it and she was angry and had just caused them to become ill. So she could have been a herbalist, perhaps. Right. She's accused and then John Proctor seeks to defend her. He does. He comes to the hearing and yeah. this also was a very bad idea if you happen to be the spouse of someone under accusation because you could often end up being accused as well, as indeed proved to be the case. He was um, imprisoned. He, till the end, denied that he was guilty. And he also um, established, he tried to... Um, write an appeal to appeal to um, some clerics in Boston saying that this was a bit of a nonsense, that, you know, some of the accusations were simply specious, they were false. Probably the very worst thing that he could have done if he had confessed they would have let him off. Elizabeth Proctor managed to avoid hanging um, because she was pregnant. Mm. 
And when he was eventually hung, he died very bravely. He forgave his accusers, and along with George Burroughs and others, he was um, executed. She then um, was put back in, in jail. She was very nearly hung in February, but fortunately was reprieved by the direct intervention of the governor, um, mm. Phipps. And later, then, she was left indigent because of problems with the will. Um, she remarried, finally. Well, his cattle were sold off uh, or, or uh, yes. butchered, and they, the, the, the beer was spilled all over the ground, and the children were left without guardians, and he was ruined, and so was she. Yes. Uh, and, and, and that became one of the, uh, the central cases, too. You wanted to come in. Mm. I was just thinking about Susan's point about people practising medicine um, in Salem Village. And certainly, you know, going back to your point as well about this focusing on the Paris household, Tichuba Indian and John Indian, who is perhaps her husband, certainly a slave living in the same household, were also accused of practising magical medicine. Um, John, in particular, was asked by um, a white female colonist, Mary Sibley, to bake a thing called a witch cake, um, which is something that you do by getting together the cornmeal and the urine of the bewitched people, so a lovely thing, um, and baking it and feeding it to a dog who will then take the, the witchcraft or the infection out of the household. So there were people practising magical medicine. Two dogs were executed, weren't they? They were, and it, yeah. yes, in another community, certainly um, a Baptist called Robert Califf, who was opposed to the trials throughout and was part of another sect, so not a congregationalist, as we were talking about earlier, um, certainly says that in another community, yeah, people started executing dogs for witchcraft as well. So, Simon, they're scything through the community. They've started with a few... Oh, you keep central casting, so we'll, we'll, we'll put that to one side now. I've said it several times. Uh, oldish women, one or two of them were a bit drunk and couldn't... No position to defend themselves very well, especially not against the power of the... The, the powers that were against them, the earthly powers in that case. And then it starts to go up the social scale, doesn't it? And this is where it becomes uh, dangerous for the accusers because people begin to get worried, like Rebecca and like Proctor. 32 people signed a petition saying he's a very good man, mm -hmm. he helps everybody, it's good. And so there's, there's a worry setting in. Can you just tell us the track of it now? It starts in, in spring in uh, 1692 and it's going on to towards the end of the year. What's happening as it gathers speed and people are being hung? Um, the first executions, I think, are in June. And, um, and there's a very important accusation in April when it becomes not just a Salem Village enterprise anymore, it becomes a regional Essex County problem. And, and certainly Andover, which is a nearby village, has ultimately more accusations and, 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 um, um, than, than Salem. Um, and the, the key figure in this is George Burroughs, who had been a minister in Salem earlier and has now has, has been preaching up in the, uh, in the Casco settlement on the northeastern coast up towards where the Wabanaki Indians are. And, um, and the thesis of the recent argument is that it's actually much more about the fear of all of these frontier village communities about because they're at war at this point, you know. King William's War has begun, and they're entering into twenty years of war on that front. On there, they're on the front line, facing French and really terrifying Indian allies. You know, and the kinds of things that Susan described earlier on are become quite common. At least the threat of it is. Um, and this Burroughs character um, unites the the witchcraft trials with this fear of Indian, you know, um, um, invasion because that's where he's been practicing, and he's brought back to the village. It also gives the trials their central male lead, you know, in terms of he's now seen as a, the orchestrator of all of these and he has and, and people testify to seeing hundreds of witches flying around with, with Burroughs as this black man in the lead. Um, 
the um, um, and and what we see then developing is the the trials start to happen and it, and it, and the the whole thing snowballs because once you've got jails with twenty five or thirty people confessing to be witches, mm-hmm. and if you believe in witchcraft as a re- real force, then you have to proceed legally. And so they grand jury and then they they they, they uh, Phipps returns in May from London and establishes a court of Oyer and Termina to hear these cases and they proceed with their business. Can you just briefly tell us about Cotton Mather? I know you said earlier that you were dying to mm. talk about him. Well, here goes. <laughs> OK. Um, he is um, one of the, probably the most learned guy in Anglo-America. You know, he's, got, uh, he's uh, the, the grandson of two Puritan divines who have set up the colony or were influential in setting up the colony. He's By the age of 11, he's mastered Latin and Greek and is off to Harvard to be trained. He's a minister at 23. Um, and, so, and he is a, a really interesting character because he's fascinated by the new learning of the Enlightenment and, and, and later in life becomes quite interested in botany and hybridization of seeds, inoculation and all of these scientific inquiries. But he is a committed Puritan um, and also committed to the to the New England way, this idea of the mission of building this pure church. And predestination. Absolutely. And, and sees that he, he is a really powerful force in the trials, justifying the acceptance of spectral evidence, saying, you know, you, you know it shouldn't only... It, it, it's famously ambiguous in the counsel that he gives, but often is read as saying the spectral evidence should be taken seriously, and whereas in previous trials or in previous... And in England, in English tradition, it's it's one thing but that, that, that can count against you, but there needs to be another fairly supporting hand. So powerful. all his enlightenment learning, he was a force for witchcraft and, it, and on the side of those who are persecuting those who are accused or... That is, that is the judgment of history on him. Whether it's fair or not is, you know, is, is up for debate. I mean, without the Salem witchcraft trials, his famous argument in Memorable Providences probably would be just another period piece of combining enlightenment and Calvinistic beliefs in that period. But yes, because but we, we have the Salem Witcher Prize, yeah. that for his reputation yeah, yeah, is different. Yeah, yeah. OK, Susan, um, you want to say something. I want to ask you something. Yes, basically, I think Cotton Mather's favourite word was nevertheless. And in one um, statement, he says that one should proceed with extreme caution and be very careful not to incriminate innocence. Nevertheless, one should... Um, eliminate all witches mm. and so he he liked to play it both ways in 1702 when he was attempting to spin the witch trials um to his according to his own perspectives what i find fascinating is that he describes the devil as rather like an indian sagamore or as a french dragoon which i think mm. also you know um supports the hypothesis mm. of the indian frontier mm. as a very very crucial factor so can we get to, to, towards the end of this first year, the 1692, Marion Gibson? The trials are going on. It must have been well, terrible. They spread to Andover, they spread around Essex County. One of you suggested they should be called the Essex County Trials mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, um, people are being hanged, people are being in custody, houses are being... lives are being ruined, living livelihoods are being ruined... Um, how did the trials run out of... when They reached a climax and then they ran out of steam. So can you tell us when they reached the climax and why they ran out of steam? Yes. They, they, questions begin to be asked in August of 1692. 
Um, and there is a possible moment when things could have come to an end then, but they don't. The trials do have significant momentum by then. And so is people that because so many on. people are implicated? Yes, I think it may very well be. People certainly carry on being hanged right up till the end of September. Um, and by the end of, of the, the trials, according to Robert Califf, anyway, the, the man who I mentioned earlier, the Baptist writer, um, at least 300 people have been suspected right across Essex County with about 150 being in jail. But it seems that the colonists begin to realise that something terrible has happened, that all these people surely cannot be witches. And there is a story also that the wife of the governor, William Phipps, who was also mentioned earlier, um, was herself accused. That's a story that comes out about a decade later, but it may well be that there is truth in it. And that would tend to turn people's attention to the idea that some of those who were accused might indeed be innocent. So it may be that the story um, starts starts to change its direction when the elite get involved mm. and people important to them are accused. Uh, yeah, there's, well, there's a very learned and, and wealthy merchant called Thomas Brattle who has nothing to fear from the, the powers in the colony and he, he, he publishes a letter and signs his name to it denouncing the trials, saying it's more likely it's the devil working through these people rather than the, the, these people are seeing the devil in the accused. And um, 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 he... Um, um, I've lost the thread. Um. It doesn't matter. Can I ask you a question? We've lost sight of the village, uh, the the village, the the Porter versus Putnam, the the small 600 people at each other's throats for all sorts of reasons. Is that still playing a part? They they seem to be, I'm being very crude, but but I think accurate enough, they seem to be out to get each other, these these families. Uh, And that is playing a part because those surrounding Paris are are winning, aren't they? They're getting more of their their opponents... uh, they are jailed and hanged. They are, but I think it it, it spins out of out of that um, factional controversy into a wider thing. And the thing that I was the thing the thread that I lost was that the class thing I think is very important because mm-hmm. one of the things that Brattle accuses Corwin of is says you're so quick to jump on the accusations of you know the Bridget Bishops and Sarah Osborne's, but your own mother-in-law has been called out as a witch, but there was no there was no inquiry pursued. And so definitely when it starts to reach up the hierarchy. Phipps's wife, Corwin's wife, and even John Hale, who's a, a minister who's involved in the investigation. There's a very famous moment after the execution of Easterby, is it? And um, there's a, a her, um, John Hale's wife is accused of being a witch, and, and he has been a supporter, and that changes his mind somewhat when his wife is accused. Susan, you want to come in? To make precisely yeah. that point, yeah. so, yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that is still going on. So we've got the village... Uh, at each other's throats. We've got the, the French, strange business of French, got the Indians around the border. You suggest in one of your papers that it was perhaps to do with diet? Yes, this is a curious hypothesis that was suggested that it could be ergot poisoning, which is, ergot is basically a kind of fungus that can infect grain, and uh, when it breaks down, one of the components is lysergic acid or LSD as we know it. Um, so they could have been having a really remarkably bad trip of some sort. Um, it is the, the symptoms would be hallucinations and fits. This, however, has been pretty convincingly mm. debunked because yeah. the girls between the hearings were hale and hearty. There were no symptoms at all. What The, the other places were quite well run with gumblers and stuff. Why did they step in here? Why were they, why were they so... Gullible, patient, over-puritanical? What, what was going yeah. on? I think there is a, that's the key question. Why did men of power 
listen to teenagers and women, which they never Some normally teenagers. do. Yeah, 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 never normally yeah. do. And I think there's a you know a couple of things you know um, to do with all of the um, problems that the colony was facing. War. There'd been a series of epidemics. They'd lost the charter in 1685 when James II establishes the Dominion of New England. There is a, a deal of social anxiety at work here. And I think the fact that the devil is abroad in Massachusetts appeals to people in leadership positions as a possible explanation for why everything is going wrong um, and it's not kind of their fault so much. The other thing is that although it's a very big deal for historians later... Actually, Salem wasn't that big a deal for William Phipps and the council at the time. And if you read the Provincial Council minutes, um, they're much more worried about the French and the Indian attacks from the north. They're about as worried about Salem as they are about the problem of wolves taking livestock. You know, And so it's a, it's a brief mention in the minutes. How did it come to an end? <coughs> Can you tell us that, Marion? It comes to an end when the court of Oya and Termina is wound up. Um, and this is all to do, as Simon was saying, with um, problems with the charter, with the politics of governing the colony. Um, there is a general reorganisation, a reshuffle, if you like, and a new court is set up. It does continue to have some of the same personnel on it, and it does continue to convict people. Um, so that three people at least are convicted and sentenced to death by that new court. But the governor, William Phipps, who we've talked about, steps in to pardon them. So it seems that the, the elite of the colony have decided this is something... That it just isn't politically sustainable um, or indeed religiously sustainable and they try to put an end to it, which ultimately does happen in 1693. And although Simon told us that at the time, if you read the papers at the time, they're more concerned about wars and wolves and so on, it, it, it began to have, sooner, whatever, centuries afterwards and not too later, um, a big effect uh, in, in the mythology of how America saw itself from its beginnings, and that, at the Crucible, Arthur Miller's play is is the, the prime example of that. But and the McCarthyite courts is like the Salem trials and so on, and so it, it comes back, doesn't it, to haunt them. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It's seen as the great example of a terrible American mistake, a moment when the Founding Fathers got it badly wrong, and so it becomes this kind of paradigm for all subsequent American mistakes. Did witchcraft end after this? I think it went on. I think probably Marion would be best. Yeah, no, it didn't. Um, this is a fairly late example. I mean, there, there have been trials all across England, Europe, um, the world before this time. But it isn't until um, the 1730s, for example, that, that um, an act is passed to, in England to say that if you bring an accusation of witchcraft, it's got to be on the grounds that the witch is a fraud, is a con man or woman, rather than somebody who's practising magic. So trials do go on, but they are tailing off by the time of Salem. It, it's a late example of a, of a phenomenon that's been going on throughout the early modern period. Well, thank you all very much indeed. Uh, thanks to Susan Castillo-Street, Marion Gibson and Simon Middleton. Next week we'll be discussing, out of more than a thousand different ideas that you've sent in, the one that we're going to discuss. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And the In Our Time podcast gets some extra time now with a few minutes of bonus material from Melvin and his guests. We didn't really get to afterwards, the battle for the kind of view of what had happened and, and Mather comes back again and, and publishes a justification, you know, which he reviews... Um, the trials and is and is absolutely you know, unabashed in his assertion that the, the, this was the devil trying to take out New England and destroy the true church that they've been building for, for since the 1630s. And the title of that is Wonders of the Invisible World. And then Robert Califf, the 
the the, the dissenter um, who um, Marion was talking about publishes another um, response to that a few years later called More Wonders of the Invisible World, in which he traduces Mather mm. and uh, and accuses him of... It, it, Mather continues to find witch work, witchcraft, work with people who are afflicted, and in one case he um, lays his hands on a young girl, um, ostensibly to free her of the, the, the evil spirits, but in Caliph's telling it's not quite all about, mm. you know, religion and doctrine. And Caliph is account um, is burned, I think, in Harvard Yard when um, when it's published um, by Mother. Because oh. he makes Mother's reputation stink, doesn't he? He does, yeah. 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 Samuel M. Morrison said that. Can I just ask you, what do you think? How? What do you think of the Crucible, Arthur Miller's play? I mean, mm. I mean, I think let's say it's a one. Let's say it's a very good play at the very least, maybe yes. a great play. But what do you think of it as a representation of the trials? It's historically very inaccurate. It's yes. interesting that Miller begins it with a note on historical accuracy, and he yeah. says, "Oh, I've changed this and I've changed that," but he leaves out perhaps the most important change, which is that he raises Abigail's age, so she's not eleven but seventeen in the play, and lowers John Proctor's age, um, so that they, those two can have an affair with each other, and that's hugely significant. And he, he later defended this, saying that he'd found um, in the trials a line which said that Abigail had touched John gently during the course of, of accusing him, and he had built on this 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 idea that, that they were romantically involved with one another. So it's I, great, but it's wrong. But I can I can live with the historical inaccuracies because I think the insight of the play is the key insight about Salem witchcraft trials, and he has that absolutely on the bottom. The great historian um, um, Keith Thomas said that if witchcraft is about how uh, explaining things, dreadful things that are happening when other explanations no longer serve. So mm. then you go to magic and the supernatural because, mm. and, as, and, and that is always with us. And that's what's going on in the 50s in America. They're fearful about communism. They've not got any rational, you know, demonstrable claims. And so this hysteria of accusation and counter-accusation takes over. And well, I think, magic does become a form of knowledge, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's like rumour yeah. takes the place of news when nobody's yeah. telling you the truth yeah, exactly. about news. Exactly, and yeah. gossip is very important, yeah. yeah. I think it's also about fear and about what a toxic emotion fear can be. Mm. And he certainly conveys that very, mm. very powerfully. Mm. I agree with Marion that the idea of Abigail Williams as a kind of teenage tintress yeah. is a distortion. Mm. But it makes very effective theatre. It does, mm. doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to have discussed Nathaniel Hawthorne, actually. And uh, We didn't have time. I know. We really didn't have time. <laughs> I mean, time. We, we rushed to get in what we got. I think we, you got in, in a, a miraculous amount of information. <laughs> <laughs> and here's Simon to reward tea, us all with coffee, BBC Tea or Coffee. There are many more history and discussion programmes from Radio 4 to download for free. Find these on the website at bbc.co.uk slash radio 4.